Amen. It's great to be back. It's such a joy to come back to West Sub to see so many people that I miss, so many pleasant faces that I really looked forward to seeing. And I can see so many smiling right now, especially Dennis's face over there. As you turn into the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, I also just want to take a moment to thank you from the bottom of my heart for your support. Um, I, like my brother here, can say that the Lord has used you in mighty ways to be a blessing to me, supporting me as I seek to grow as a pastor. I want to have lifelong, fruitful ministry. A lot of pastors burn out. So I'm in a program now where I'm being trained to help me get deeply rooted in Christ, where I can have lifelong, sustainable, fruitful ministry. So you've been an enormous blessing in my life. What awesome generosity flowing from this congregation. So you're special in the eyes of the Lord, for certain. So with that said, I love you. But let's look into the word of God. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. That's where we're going to be spending our time this morning. I'm going to be reading from the ESV translation. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. I'm going to read the word of God and then briefly pray and ask for the Lord. Ask for his presence to be felt mightily in this sanctuary. Isaiah chapter 6, the Bible says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Verse 4. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I'm lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. That's the Lord's word. Let's pray. Eternal God, thank you for your presence here among us right now. I pray that as your word goes forth, your presence would be felt more and more. I pray that as Isaiah saw you with his eyes, we would see you with the eyes of our hearts as we hear your word. Lord, many people are here today that need to hear from you. And I pray in a mighty way that would be so. Hearts would be transformed. Minds would be changed. The person who is backsliding from you, I pray that you would draw them back through the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for this time now. 
to hear from heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Not long ago, a raging storm caused a cargo ship to capsize about 600 miles off the coast of Alaska. As that ship sank to the depths of the ocean, a crate of bath toys opened up and 7,000 rubber duckies (laughs) floated to the surface. To my amazement, some of those duckies drifted across the Pacific Ocean and reached Australia. Others drifted north and landed on shores between Russia and Alaska. Some found their way into the high Arctic Ocean. One ducky crossed three oceans and eventually landed on the west coast of Scotland. Now, you don't have to be a geography expert to realize that those rubber duckies drifted far. They were no match for the vigor of the ocean. And we can be a lot like those rubber duckies if we're not careful. With conviction, we can sing the lyrics. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We can sing that with conviction because we know, if we're being honest, we're prone to drift. Because of the resurrection power of Christ at work in us, we'll never sink, praise God. We're buoyant, Holy Ghost buoyancy, but we still are capable of drifting very far. But God hasn't called us to be drifting duckies, has he? He's called us to be devoted disciples. Devoted disciples. And being devoted is tough because we're prone to drift. But not only that, we're called to serve God in a world that's clearly in rebellion against him. In a world where it seems hard to believe that he's even in control sometimes. Anyone watched CNN lately? How do we stay anchored in serving position? When our emotions are up and down, when temptation is intense, when life circumstances are burdensome, or when the people in our lives are being difficult, like my toddler this morning. (laughs) How do we get to the place where we're ready and willing to serve the Lord, no matter how costly, difficult, or painstaking it gets? How do we get to that place? The prophet Isaiah can help us with that. The task that God gave Isaiah was such a challenge that Isaiah responded to God by asking, How long, O Lord? Tough task. How long, O Lord? Isaiah was called to serve God, just like us. And this is what he learned. We best serve God when we accurately see God. That's today's sermon in one sentence. If you don't remember anything else, just remember that. We best serve God when we accurately see God. We live in a world that sees God as if he's some divine buddy in the heavens, as if he's someone who approves of sin. The world has God messed up. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, Isaiah said, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. 
in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. So no man can see God in his fullness without perishing. So let's make that clear up front. His vision was limited, but still, Isaiah's limited vision of God had unlimited effects on his heart. So today, we're going to hear three ways that Isaiah responded when he saw God. Three ways that Isaiah responded when he saw the true and living God. The first way Isaiah responded when he saw God can be summed up into one word. Wow. Wow. Now, for a second, imagine that it's the 4th of July, and you're out wherever you usually go to watch fireworks. Start picturing this. You're watching the fireworks. If God revealed himself in the middle of the grand finale, every eye would shift and be fixed on his splendor. Every person would forget all about the fireworks, cancel the fireworks. This is the God we're talking about. The best of fireworks is less than a wet firecracker compared to the glory of God. There's nothing boring about God. That's what we see here. Anyone who clearly sees or understands God will be completely awestruck, as we'll see Isaiah was. So what exactly did Isaiah see? Verse 1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, how? Sitting upon a throne. It's important that we take notice that Lord, in verse 1, is capital L, followed by lowercase letters. Do you notice that? You have to Sherlock Holmes the text sometimes and look closely at the little fine details. When you see that in the Old Testament, it's reflective of the word Adonai. That's the Hebrew name, Adonai. And Adonai means sovereign one. Sovereign. And this is crucial for Isaiah because, as the text says, King Uzziah just what? Died. Big, tough, powerful King Uzziah who did mighty things for the Lord. A powerful king just died, but now his rule was over. And the children of Israel were beginning to fear for their future. The world around them was starting to look ugly. Sound familiar to us? The world around us? The mighty throne was empty. But in this vision, Isaiah is vividly reminded that the sovereign king is still on his throne. And according to John chapter 12, the infinite king that Isaiah sees is Jesus Christ. Make no mistake. This is Jesus Christ on the throne, pre-incarnate, before he took on flesh and came to earth. This is Jesus that Isaiah is seeing. And thanks be to God that history doesn't depend on human kings but on the king of glory. See, remembering this helps us to keep serving God with zeal. That's why we don't need to be worried about the way the world is crumbling around us. We don't have to be worried about it. In the midst of a national crisis like 9-11, we need to be reminded that Jesus is on the throne 24-7. So we, we need these kind of reminders to help us stay the course and not drift like duckies, but stay anchored in Christ. 24-7, he's on the throne, and he will always have the last word, no matter what. Our God, the king of the cosmos, is sitting on the throne in glory with the highest level of authority. Wow. 
Verse 1 says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. So Isaiah had to lift his eyes to see the, see the Lord. So he had to lift his chin up, tilt his head back. In our world, there are many authorities, rulers, governments, powers, thrones. In this text, Isaiah is lifting up his eyes to see the throne that's exalted above every other throne. He's getting a vision of the place of supreme authority. There's no higher authority. Wow. Not only was the Lord high and lifted up, in verse 1, Isaiah adds that the train of his robe filled the temple. Are you beginning to see this glorious God with the eyes of your heart? His large, full, magnificent robe filled the temple in royal fashion. So all of this is a glorious picture of his majesty and his exaltation. All of this. Okay, so the Lord is sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train, the train of his robe is filling the temple. But it doesn't stop there. The Bible says, Seraphim stood above him. Wow. They weren't literally standing. They were hovering with expanded wings. Are you picturing this? Seraphim is also translated fiery ones. You seeing what's happening? So Isaiah is seeing fiery winged beings flying near God. These fiery beings are angels. So this is mind blowing. Beings that have never sinned are in awe of the holiness of God. Beings that have never sinned are in awe of the holiness of God. In verse 3, look, look at what one calls out to one another and says. Verse 3. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So these amazing creatures can't help but be entranced, captivated, and filled with wonder in the presence of this great God. So remember today's main point. We best serve God when we accurately see God. These angels see God for who he truly is. He's not just some buddy in heaven. He's way more than that. Our view of God needs to be expanded. He's holy. He's 100% pure. He's perfect. It's impossible for him to sin. He transcends all creation. Fiery beings that have never sinned are in awe of the holiness of God. Wow. And look at what happens as one of the angels lifts up his voice and declares the holiness of God. Look with me at verse 4. Verse 4. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. At this point, Isaiah is terrified. The foundations of the thresholds were shaking. The voice of one of God's underlings is causing an earthquake. If an angel can talk with this much power, how much more power does God have? And it gets even more scary because the temple also begins to fill with smoke. It's starting to get darker and darker and darker. 
thick darkness. At this point, he probably can't even see his hand in front of his face. It's how dark it's getting. And how does that make you feel if you were in that situation? How would you feel? If anyone truly experiences God, they'll be wild, but it comes with a sense of, dare I say, terror or danger. If you see a lion, you may say, wow, but there's also an element of danger. If you see the Grand Canyon or Niagara Falls, you'll say, wow, I know I will. Anyone ever been to any of those places? Is there an element of danger also there? So Isaiah is in the presence of the divine lion of the tribe of Judah. He's high and lifted up. The train of his robe is filling the temple. Fiery angels are lifting him up. The ground is shaking under his feet, and smoke is beginning to take away his vision. How are you seeing God with the eyes of your heart right now? We best serve God when we accurately see God. Isaiah's heart said, wow. But what other effect did this glorious vision of God have on the prophet Isaiah? That leads us to the second way Isaiah responded when he saw God. And that also can be summed up into one word. Woe. Woe. Look what Isaiah said in verse 5. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Woe. In the Bible, when people met God, they were confronted with an overwhelming sense of their own sinfulness. Peter, seeing Jesus for who he truly is, fell down at Jesus' feet and repeatedly said, Depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Seeing Jesus for who he truly is. Apostle Paul, a man who was very mature in the faith. He said, it's a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I'm foremost of all. And Job, a man that the Lord declared righteous, saw God for who he truly is, and with a humbled spirit said, I repent and dust and ashes. All of them were essentially saying, woe is me. So woe is me is the beginning of maturity. Woe is me is the beginning of maturity. See, we live in a world where people have this false idea where they think if you get closer to God or you're maturing, you're starting to feel more and more holy. But that's not accurate. The men of God who met God said, woe is me. So it's a sign that you're getting closer to God when you see your sinfulness. Apostle Paul said that he's chief of sinners because the more he matured, the more aware of his sinfulness he became. The closer you get to the fire, the more you feel the heat. So after Isaiah's awareness of his and his people's sin is escalated, something else happens. Verses 6 and 7. Look with me at verses 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, 
Behold, this has touched your mouth. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. This had to be terrifying. Now, imagine this is you. You're in the temple. You have this amazing vision of the Lord. The earth is shaking under your feet. There's heavy darkness, and you can barely see your hand in front of your face. At this point, all you can see is a fiery being getting closer and closer and closer through the darkness. In darkness, all you see is this fiery being coming closer and closer and closer toward you. And this fiery being is carrying something red hot, getting closer and closer and closer. That's all he can see because it's all black. Isaiah is terrified, but instead of getting what he deserved, he received God's grace. The angel touched his unclean lips with coal from the altar. So through what happens at the altar, Isaiah's sin is atoned for, and he's put in a place where he can become a servant of a holy God. This is why Isaiah doesn't die in the presence of God because of what comes from the altar atones for his sin. And this points to Christ who died on the altar on the cross for us. Jesus died on the altar of the cross for us. On the cross, he shed his precious blood. We've been covered by the divine detergent that washed our guilt and sin away. On the altar of the cross, Romans 4 says, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord would not count his sin. We've been saved by grace through faith in the same way from the same God that spared Isaiah in this text. Like Isaiah, our sins have been atoned for, covered, washed by the divine detergent of the blood of Christ. So after Isaiah said, wow, he said, whoa. And then he received God's grace to go. After Isaiah said, wow, he said, whoa, and then he received God's grace to go. So that's just a formula for you to have in your mind. Wow plus woe equals ready to go. I remember when I was about five years old, my mother told me she was going to take us to the Big Apple. Taking you to the Big Apple. For the first time, I was going to go to New York. I began to imagine what the Big Apple looked like. And as a kid, you can imagine what I was picturing. <laughs> a worm in it, and just this just, just weird picture of New York. I had all these visions of my mind of what New York was like. Maybe you've had this experience where you're about to go somewhere for the first time, and you begin to picture in your mind what it's going to look like. When I got there, I realized that what I imagined was so different from the reality. So different. My view of New York was really just way too small, <laughs> way more than an apple. And that's how it is with us. Our view of God is often just too small. And that's what the Lord is trying to show us today through the eyes of our heart. He wants us to see him as he is. 
He wants to enlarge our view of him through his word. So the person who's going to be the most effective for God in this world is someone who continues to experience the holiness of God. That's who's going to be the most effective for God in this world. He's given us his word to help us get an accurate view of who he is. An accurate view of who he is. It says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth. So today, God is calling us to deepen our devotion to him. That's what the Lord is calling all of us to do, to deepen our devotion to him. He's calling us to study him more. We have a tendency to focus on people, people in power, celebrities, and we don't focus on God enough to learn his true nature and really understand him for who he is. He's calling us to study him more, and he's calling us to experience him more through his word and through prayer. That's how we experience God. He wants us to have an enlarged view of who he is. So with the eyes of your heart, look at Jesus on the cross more often. With the eyes of your heart, as you look at God's word, look at this God that we serve. With the eyes of your heart, look at him on the cross. With the eyes of your heart, look at Jesus being raised from the dead. Look at the empty tomb with the eyes of your heart. The God that took the sting out of death for us. We can see that empty tomb with the cloth laying there. And one angel on one side, one angel on the other saying, he's risen. With the eyes of your heart, look at Jesus ascending into the clouds. The disciples watched him go up like a balloon that was let go. He went up, 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 up. More often, look at that with the eyes of your heart. And as we pray, look at Jesus sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, with angels adoring him. We have to start looking at God more clearly through his word. Look at Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for how you've revealed yourself to us in scripture. You're not who we make you out to be. You are who you are. You're the great I am. You've called us to worship you in spirit and truth. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to seek you in prayer more, to seek you and be devoted to studying your word, to be accurately handling your word so that we can accurately see you. And Lord, we thank you for dying for us. Thank you for giving us opportunity. Thank you for atoning for our sin, just like you did Isaiah. The once and for all sacrifice that you've done for us in Jesus. So Lord, I pray that we would best serve you. That we would not drift. That we would not be drifting duckies, but devoted disciples who accurately see you, who make a stance against sin, who don't ignore or justify sin in our lives, but worship you for who you are. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. So Lord, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. May we be changed forever. And may we be doers of your word and not merely hearers who delude ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.